0: Uh, For me and for us um, throughout this weekend and and especially this session, um, I'm humbled to be preaching to this group of men uh, with so many godly examples. Um, My aim is to encourage you, certainly, in everything that I'm saying, but especially to equip you as leaders in your homes and marriages, as leaders in the church, and for some of us in the world in various ways, so that you can teach. And encourage others to know the church, love the church, and work properly. So be thinking as I'm speaking not only about encouragement for yourself, but how you can share uh, with those in your life the, the same encouragement, the same teaching. So men are made for the church, and the church is made for men. I'm not saying that the church is the only thing that men are made for. I'm not saying that women aren't made for the church, but I'm I'm talking about a man and his church. I'm talking about all men and their churches. And I want to remind you that the church is not an accident of history. It is not a man-made institution. It's not even just a good tradition. The church was established by Jesus, the Messiah, and it is the one institution that he promised to build. In Matthew 16 Furthermore, it is the one institution, the one organization, that will last for eternity. No parachurch ministry, no matter how effective or needed right now, will persist in eternity. This nation, as great as it has been, will not last forever. Your marriage, even as it is now a beautiful picture of Christ and the church, won't exist after the final resurrection. That's Luke 20. Before Adam was crafted from the dust of the Earth, our triune God had determined that men would be part of the church, the body and bride of Christ. He made us to be in community with others that have been redeemed. And I know that that has been a very sweet and blessed time, uh, especially this weekend. Um, We've been made to be part of the lives of other men in the church. He designed his body with men in mind. There are many passages of scripture that talk about the body of Christ, about the church. And our primary passage this morning is Ephesians 4. Turn there with me, please. Ephesians is nicknamed by some the queen of the epistles. And there's a beautiful irony there as we look at it this morning to hear about the bride of Christ today. Uh, But don't worry, we'll get to the, the king later. So Ephesians 4, while my focus today is on verses 11 through 16, I'll read the first 10 verses as well for context. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope, so that it builds itself up in love. So as we explore this and other passages in God's word, I've tried to organize my thoughts into three main points. The first one, know the church. We'll cover what it isn't, what it is, how it's meant to work in brief. Next point would be love the church. Don't take a good church for granted. And finally, I'll address work properly. Don't be a missing or malfunctioning limb. So the first point, know the church. I want to go over uh, briefly, very briefly, um, a couple of misconceptions folks have about uh, the church. But in general, we're going to be talking about um, knowing the church because unless we know it, it's very difficult to love the church and have a proper relationship with the church. So some misconceptions first. What the church isn't. It isn't a social club. It isn't a place for you to meet friends or make connections in the community although it should be a place of many deep relationships. The church isn't just a good influence for your kids, although it can be that. It isn't a cold or passive duty, although obedient attendance can carry you over gaps in desire. It isn't a place to display your talents and get attention, although you should pursue the joys of giving and serving. It isn't a place for perfect people, Or you can expect to never be hurt by or experience other people's sin. All the relationships here, there should be characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. The church is the assembly of the redeemed. It is the body of Christ. I'll first cover the redeemed part. So the church is a unified gathering of those that God has predestined called, regenerated, given faith and repentance, justified, adopted, sanctified, preserved, and has glorified already or will glorify. It is the bride of Christ. It is promised to him for perfect union forever. So while particular churches, similar to the old nation of Israel, are made up of both the redeemed and unredeemed, the church universal, the church in eternity, is only true Christians. It is all sheep and no goats to reference Jesus' words in Matthew 25. So next, level, let's cover the assembled part. You can turn to Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, if you'd like, for a bit, which says not to cease meeting together, and nearly every epistle of the New Testament assumes the reality of the early church. That reality was local congregations of believers in the various cities gathered together regularly. Loving and encouraging one another, and being equipped by and under the protection, authority, and nurturing leadership of local shepherds. We have a lot of great resources available to us these days. You can listen to wonderful preachers and uh, pastors all over the world. But your favorite pastors should not be someone you've never met. The importance of being tied into a local body. Is essential. God intends us to be together. The epistles were written almost entirely to churches or to elders of churches. They were meant to be read aloud in those churches and neighboring ones. There's a lot of instruction in the New Testament that is uh, plural in its nature. It's not meant simply for individuals. It is meant to be heard and obeyed by a group. You've heard passages that mention Christians being the temples or dwelling place of God. 1 Corinthians 3.16, 2 Corinthians 6.16, Ephesians 2.22, they all say that you are a temple or dwelling of God. And in each case, the you there is plural. It's like y'all, which is one of my favorite words. There are numerous lists in the New Testament of ways that we are called to treat one another, indicating the need for frequent interaction and even relational intimacy. Uh, Pastor Phil actually got me a list that he's used in the past of such one another's. Um, that are on one side of your your handout. Um, and I forgot to have them hand out the handout. So um, Sean and Jeff, if you wouldn't mind uh, just spreading those out. Um, there's two sides of it. I'll talk about the other one in a little bit. So Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So most of you here don't need to be convinced of the importance of gathering together as a church body. Uh, I think for many of us, especially after lockdown restrictions, uh, the importance of that uh, was uh, highlighted. Um, The fact that, uh, um, that others were trying to prevent that uh, highlighted the importance of it for some folks. So I think that those here know, and again, this is why I said I'm, I'm teaching you to teach, not just to encourage you, for you to pass it on. So rather than being trying to be a Lone Ranger Christian, we need to be together as a church. It is vital that we teach and encourage others in this, especially our families, that they not just think that going to church is what we do. It's not just a habit. It's not just a good idea. We need to pass on a love for the church and an understanding of what the church is. I recently had an opportunity to encourage a coworker in this, and I'll talk about that later. So the local church is characterized by several things beyond just a gathering of Christians. While Jesus is amongst us, even if only two or three are gathered together, not every such gathering is well described as a church, nor is gathering all that we are called to. And this is when I want to focus much of my encouragement for you. So even in, in, even in Hebrews 10, in the primary command text for gathering, we see a need for more than just physical proximity. We are called to think about how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds and encourage one another. I confess that outside of formal instances of facilitating a small group or teaching or preaching, I don't often think in advance about how to stimulate brothers and sisters in Christ towards love and good deeds. I'm too often distracting myself with some podcast or project around my property, but there's great value for us to take time to consider how to encourage one another to think about and pray for one another when we're apart. And there's great value in the time we are together, as we've seen even just this last 24 hours, the relationships we have in both the local church and the universal church. There are ways that God blesses us as a body that are not available to loner Christians one of those is what we call fellowship, the, the friendship, joy, and encouragement we have and we're with other believers. In talking about friendship, C.S. Lewis wrote, by myself I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. So Lewis illustrated this by talking about the recent death of Charles Williams, who was a mutual friend of Lewis and J.R.R. R. Tolkien. At first, after William's passing, Lewis thought that he and Tolkien would grow closer together. There were less friends in the group. And so despite the tragic loss, he thought that he would at least get more of Tolkien now that Williams had passed. Yet he found that he not only missed their departed friend, but also the things Williams brought out in others, such as the special ways that he could get Tolkien to laugh that Lewis couldn't. The blessing of mutual living with believers works similarly. This not only works as described in Christian fellowship, but some aspect of it is also true about our relationship with God. When we are living alongside other Christians, sharing their joys and sorrows, triumphs and setbacks, strengths and weaknesses, seeing God work in and through them and sharing their burdens, then we get to see God in different ways. Our mutual friendship with God means we can experience more of those other Christians and more of him. As for how the church is to be together, we see in our Ephesians 4 passage much of how the church is meant to operate. Christ gives people with preaching, teaching, leading, and authority-related gifts and offices to the church. Those people equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the church. The saints then pursue unity, maturity, right beliefs, which result in stability, truth-telling, and Christlikeness. We pursue sanctification together, which results in mutual, mutual edification or building up. So speaking of that, that equipping, the gifting of people who are to do the equipping, we see throughout Acts a selection of deacons and elders. Holy epistles such as Timothy and Titus are written to local elders. I could talk for an hour just about the awesome structure that God created for us. Um, And I love um, how this church implements that. But even better, I can recommend a a podcast that Pastor Corey did earlier this year, which describes qualifications for both of those offices along with their differences. I do want to emphasize a couple of things. I'm not going to spend a long time on deacons and elders, but I do want to emphasize a couple of things about how we are to interact with leaders in our church. So Hebrews 13, Galatians 6, tell us that our elders have responsibility for us, authority over us, and that those who teach are owed provision. Membership is the best way to show the elders of your local church that you accept their authority. If you're not a member, you are not telling the leaders of the church that you accept their authority. If you're unsure for membership about for some reason, talk with me afterward. I understand some folks hesitancies. I'll seek to persuade you reasonably. If you are a member at GCBC, soberly consider that authority, knowing. Knowing that our elders are humble and gracious. That they take seriously their responsibility to care for or watch over our souls. So, after the saints are equipped, the church builds itself up in love. So, look back at Ephesians 4. When you get there, you'll notice that while the spiritual gifts both equip and build throughout that chapter, love is the primary active method of building. That love is described in great detail in Ephesians and elsewhere in the New Testament. It includes bearing one another's burdens, as Galatians 6.2 says. I want to encourage you to offer and seek help with one another's burdens. Not... Your daily responsibilities, which Galatians 6.5 says we should bear ourselves, but the larger things, big projects, grief, struggles, situations where we need counsel. You may not have thought when helping a brother build a wall or a deck or some other project that you were building up the church in love, but you probably were. You may not have thought when sharing in the grief of a brother at church that you were building up the church, but you were. I want to encourage you to ask for and receive help from other men in the church in all those ways. I've been blessed to see and receive and take part in so much of this, so I'm encouraging more of the same. And I get it. Sometimes your burdens you're carrying really are just those Galatians 6.5 with small loads, or the timing is haphazard, catches you can't work, so it's not something to invite others in on. I understand we live in a rural area. Distance is definitely a factor, but God gave us each other. Carry the larger loads, and if we neglect that, we may overstrain ourselves trying to do the equivalent of a one-handed bench press. You could do in the one-handed bench press, but you're likely to get hurt. We also have to remember that there is great blessing in serving one another. So giving our brothers in the church the opportunity to serve, especially to exercise their gifts, is a blessing. And if we believe in God's sovereignty, then we believe that he not only plans our needs and burdens, but also for the relief or support. And perhaps the most reliable source of that support that he provides is his body here on earth, the church. Finally, a short note about knowing the church, not just knowing how it's supposed to work, but knowing the actual people and not just the model, the people in our local church. We have a large enough church that it's difficult to build strong relationships with everyone at church, and I appreciate Robin calling out the beautiful aspect of us meeting uh, men that we didn't know before. So it's a big church, but I encourage you to find ways to interact with parts of the body that you don't know as well. You can use the directory. It's a great resource to learn more about the people. Remember their names. Um, There's time before and after Sunday service when you can start conversations, certainly. You might even consider sitting in a different spot some weeks to facilitate that. Events like this are some of the best opportunities for this. I uh, was dropping some eaves yesterday and overheard Pastor Phil um, commenting to somebody how encouraged he was to see so many guides building new relationships, people that they don't usually talk to. Service is also an excellent opportunity to grow bonds of fellowship with the rest of our local body. You can invite people to dinner that you don't know well. You can visit a widow. You can bring a meal to a family that's grieving or has had a baby. You can ask the deacons what needs there are, find some small way to help meet them. This happens a lot in our church already, with many of you active parts of it. So I'm encouraging it all the more. All right, point two, love the church. Don't take a good church for granted. Jesus loves the church. We even read this morning Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her. With the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. If we have the spirit of Christ in us, as Romans 8, 9 tells us the redeemed do, then we will love those whom he loves. If we don't, if we don't have an affection for the people of Christ, then we need to think about why that is. 1 John 3.14 says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. So one of the sources of assurance available to us about our change, our redemption, our salvation is in the love, the affection we have for other believers in the family of God. So do you delight in the people of God? Not just the ones that are like you, not just the ones that share your interests or match your personality or have status or charisma or resources? Do you have an affection for the body of Christ because of him? We all have responsibilities that God has ordained, and many of the commands of God focus on our relationships with and care for our family members, neighbors, and friends. I know that the demands of those responsibilities often take precedence, and I know that many of you are already very engaged or serving in multiple ways. I'm not trying to guilt anyone into anything. And there are seasons in life where it might actually be best for some people to scale back their involvement in church life. But I want you to think about what you can do and how you can encourage others to love the church, especially if you're married, if you have kids. And especially for those of you that are serving or well-integrated into church life, I want to remind you, like I need reminders, to do this with affection, to labor in love for the church and for Christ, lest our effort be worthless, as 1 Corinthians 13 tells us. I won't go into it in detail, but it talks about how gifts or service or giving are all worthless if they're done without love. So most of you are involved in the life of the church beyond weekly attendance. We're blessed to have many opportunities to serve, to grow our affection for one another, both formally and informally. Events like this are a great opportunity to grow in affection. Sincerely, thank you for being here. We're blessed. have a truly wonderful church don't take that for granted I know what it's like to take a church for granted I know what it's like to attend faithfully Sunday morning and have little to do with the church outside of that My lack of engagement with that church was half symptom and half cause, part of a cycle of stagnation and slow, selfish sin. I think we all take things for granted sometimes. We live with an attitude that nowadays we might call entitled, but might be better labeled ungrateful or disinterested. I spent a couple years doing that. My love for Christ cooling... my conscience slowly being seared numb to my own sin and isolated my marriage suffered my love for God's word dimmed and my spiritual and overall maturity withered by contrast praise God and thanks in part to the warm welcome I received from so many of you men here. My engagement with our church has been characterized by increasing frequency, breadth, depth, devotion, and affection. This greater connection with the church has also been a cause of and because of rejuvenating my walk with God. That's why I picked this topic. That's why I love to talk about the church. That's why I have a special, earnest desire to see Christians engaging in the life of the body. This is a wonderful church with humble, humble, wise, and strong leadership, and so many people with hearts for service and ministry. I know what it's like to be at a church where I wasn't confident in leadership's humility, wisdom, strength of conviction, and it's unnerving. Be thankful for the leadership we have. Honor those that labor among us, and as men, let us in let us imitate that kind of leadership in our homes and relationships. We often think of uh, of Paul as sort of a, a super-Christian, a, a solo act. Um, but at the end of multiple epistles, Romans, Colossians, 1 Corinthians, he's uh, doing his greetings and often giving thanks very specifically for people by name. And you can see how much... Um, of his labor, of his um, effect on the world, was part of a team effort. I don't remember the particular passage, but uh, I remember that Phil did sort of a dream team sermon uh, within the last few months, and uh, it was a great blessing to to see you highlight the relationships that Paul had. So my final point: work properly. Don't be a missing or malfunctioning limb. So in light of Ephesians 4.16, let's look at how to work properly and how to help other men do the same. So the subtitle is intentionally taken from a a recent article on the church's website that my wife and I worked on called Missing Limb, Reflections on Our Mutual Need for One Another in the Body of Christ. And I (laughs) I highly recommend it. Um, Our passage in Ephesians 4.16 says that when each part of the body of Christ is working properly... That's a conditional statement. The body will build itself up in love. So we can can draw from that two truths. Firstly, to the degree that some or all of us are not working properly, that will diminish the degree to which Christ's church builds itself up in love. And secondly, that we actually owe each other something. Because the growth of the local and universal church depends on its members working properly, there is a degree to which we, as part of the body of Christ, not only to him but also to each other to work properly. This can be a hard thing to accept for people with our culture. Most human cultures reflect biblical values in some ways. They clash with them in others. And In the West, especially in the United States, we value our individualism. We don't like to think of ourselves as owing anyone anything except perhaps God and our families. But the comparison scripture gives us is not of mostly autonomous, independent individuals or even families uh, occasionally coming together to work on things. Go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, verse 12 through 27, I'm going to read. So 1 Corinthians twelve, twelve. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If an ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again, The head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So instead of a picture of slightly connected individuals like NATO or the states in our union, God through Paul gives us the image of the body, body parts that are connected intimately, that need each other, that are arranged specifically by God as he wants them to be, with many different functions, but unified in purpose and in being we were looking this morning at uh, Ephesians 5, Christ loves the church. Um, and Christ loves the church because of unity. It's not that uh, Christ loves the church simply because that is the right thing to do. The church is himself. The church is his body. Similarly, when it's talking about wives and husbands and that husband should love their body or should love their wife and talks about how people don't hate their own body. It's not saying that you should love your wife as you love your body and that these are two and completely separate things. It's saying these are the same thing, right? There's a a godly self-interest in loving one another because we are united. So if you're feeling a need for counsel, for encouragement, for support, the church is meant to help. If you're feeling listless, purposeless, or apathetic, then you need exercise, Exercise your devotion to God through service and encouragement of his body. This is his people. And those in our local church are the ones he has purposefully and specially chosen for us. We are not together by accident, but on purpose. So all the more, let's be together like a body, supporting and sustaining each other like bones and muscles, blood and organs should. How can we suffer along someone who's suffering if we don't know what they're going through, if we're not with them? How else can we honor someone and praise God when they exercise the gifts God has given them, when they serve or when they participate in God's sanctifying work in their lives? How can we rejoice in the blessings and mercies of God with another believer If at most, we talk with them every few weeks for two to five minutes. A piece of a physical body separated from the rest doesn't survive. How can local manifestation of the body and bread of Christ, our church, survive if members are experiencing the equivalent of a long-distance relationship? Granite is strong because its parts are fused together so tightly And that fusing is from pressure and heat. So what does it mean for us to work properly? You probably know most of it already. The church as a whole needs to operate in the ways that scripture described, much of which I talked about earlier. It needs to have leaders who fit the qualifications and are supported by its people. It needs to be centered on the preaching of the word. It needs to care for each other's needs. It needs to have orderly, sincere worship. It needs to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. It needs to proclaim the gospel. It needs to practice church discipline. On a more individual basis, the members of the church need to understand truth and pursue holiness, Christlikeness, obedience to the moral law of God. They need to be involved in each other's lives, helping, comforting, encouraging, teaching, exhorting, and more. Galatians 6, 9 through 10 says that we shouldn't grow weary of doing good with a reminder of our eventual reward and ends with, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. The latter half of Ephesians 4, right after our main text this morning, you can look at it if you're there, similarly informs us what it looks like for us to work properly. So verse 17, he says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness therefore having put away falsehood let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another be angry and do not sin do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Indeed, everything in Ephesians Ephesians, after Paul shows the church, shows how the church builds itself up in love, Uh, especially chapter five um, can be seen, all of these things can be seen as instruction for how to work properly and so build on the foundation that Christ laid. For something even more detailed, you can turn to Romans 12. Romans is named, nicknamed the king of the epistles, and Romans 12 offers us another concise look at what it means to work properly. For the sake of time, I'm just going to summarize, and I'll encourage you to dig deeper into Romans 12 later. Verse 1 says to be a living sacrifice. Verse 2 says to have your mind renewed, to be transformed, to discern God's will. Verse 3 says to reflect humble, humbly and soberly. Four and five say to consider your unity with Christ and each other and think about your function in the body. Verses six through eight say to use your gifts according to the amount or the way that God has gifted you. And verses nine through 21 are more general moral commands, most of which have to do with our relationship with others. I think it's useful To note that while we are encouraged to use our particular gifts, according to the grace given us, the majority of our instruction throughout the New Testament is the same regardless of which gifts we do or don't have. Most of our instruction involves a pursuit of Christ-likeness. The manifestation and display of the fruit of the Spirit that all of us have access to and all of us can grow in. I think sometimes people think that spiritual gifts are like a superpower and everybody has their own unique one and, and that's the thing that they do. Um, But we all have the opportunity to grow in many gifts. And we all have the opportunity to grow in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And those are the primary methods that God uses. See 1 Corinthians 13 again. Love is the primary thing that God uses to build the church up. So in the midst of several sections on spiritual gifts and their use, and even in a statement uh, that Christians should desire Earnestly desire the higher gifts, Paul in 1 Corinthians twelve, thirty one shows that he'll show says that he'll show readers a still more excellent way, and then he goes on about love being superior to gifts, what love looks like and how long Christian love will last. Hebrews thirteen, verse seven calls us to remember or keep in mind our leaders in the church, to consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. This is part of working properly. Verse 17 of that chapter tells us in light of their oversight responsibility for us to obey them, to submit to them and not make it a groan inducing responsibility for them. We should act in such a way that their oversight for our souls is a joy. It doesn't help us to give them heartache. It's implied that there's value to us in making their leadership a joy. Share with your leaders how you're growing. Who has been a blessing to you? And your gratitude for their labor's steadfastness and grace. For a concise look, also, at what it means to work properly, I would also suggest to you, whether you're a member already or not, to carefully consider the commitments of membership that Gold Country has outlined. Those are on the other side of the sheet that you got. These form a great summary. In closing, I want to say again, I'm not encouraging you because there's some serious weakness at Gold Country that we need to shore up. Quite the contrary. Gold Gold country is a great example of these things. This weekend has been a great example of these things. So I want to encourage you to excel all the more, to not grow weary in doing good. And as 2 Corinthians 8, 7 says, to excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, as well as in love and grace. Or as Romans 12:10 says, I desire that we would love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. I want to equip you all to help others understand God's desire for the church and work po- properly as part of it. There's value in us thinking about and talking about these things, but the greatest way to help others in the church value the bride of Christ is for us to value the bride of Christ. God uses His word and our actions, our affection for the people of God put on display to stir in others that same affection. Recently, I found out that a, a co-worker and friend of mine who doesn't who is a believer doesn't go to church where he lives in, in the LA area. I had a deep desire to encourage him to be part of a local church, but I wanted to gently, lovingly push him towards the truth rather than shove it in his face or even urgently exhort him. Uh, While he was up in Sacramento recently for work, I brought up the blessing uh, and need for church life over the course of a couple conversations, prayed for him to desire church fellowship, and I invited him to our church for two Sundays. He truly enjoyed observing and to some degree experiencing the joy of fellowship. Hearing my own testimony of the blessings in and because of the church. This invigorated or brought life to my encouragements enough that he decided, without any further prompting from me, to seek out a local church to, in his words, find something like what you have here. The loving atmosphere, the friendships, the heart-focused application of truth from God's word, the seriousness and joy of worship, God used the people, the people of our church, even the vast majority of them that he didn't even talk to, to create a hunger in him For the blessings of the body of Christ. We can do that for others in our church. Others in our lives. And I pray that we will. I'm going to close in prayer. Praying Romans 15, 5 through 6. grant you to live in such harmony with one another. In accordance with Christ Jesus. that. To